Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, We are going to read just one verse and pause for a moment. This may not be a very long message today because my goal is not to get through 1 Corinthians 12 quickly. My goal is to get through 1 Corinthians 12 thoroughly. And I think that that's an important distinction. There are passages in the Bible that I think sometimes when we teach them, we do well to teach them quickly. Quickly meaning in terms of how much text we're taking in at one time. Because sometimes, um, it's been my experience that when people break up the scriptures into really itty bitty small pieces, while there's value in that, when you're coming to that week after week, you begin to lose sight of what it was you read three weeks ago or four weeks ago. So generally, when I teach the Bible, I try to do it in at least six, seven, eight verse sections. And if I have to spend more than one week in six, seven, or eight verses, you might notice, you probably have, uh, that I tend to review a lot because it's important that we don't lose the context of what was said a couple weeks excuse me, a couple weeks ago, if we're going to go very, very slowly through the text. All that to say, um, I am not as concerned about that with 1 Corinthians 12 as I am your learning through this. Because I know how valuable and important it was and it has been for me to learn about these things. And I believe it, it is absolutely essential that you engage in the same kind of learning. I would not say that about everything in, in the Bible. There are lots of things that I have spent lots and lots of time in that are interesting to me, and so I've spent lots of time in them, but I would not present them in a way that's meant to portray if you don't spend a similar amount of time in it, it could be hurtful to you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that with a whole lot of subjects. I think that all of God's word is profitable and digging into it will undoubtedly be good for you. But this is a particular area where the dangers of not knowing what you're doing and what's going on can be really serious. The dangers can be really serious. And so I just want to begin by reading Paul's version of this in verse 1 of chapter 12. We'll stop after verse 1, where he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And we'll just pause there. Now, if we went around the room and we gave everyone the chance in isolation of hearing what everybody else might say, to just kind of present their own understanding of spiritual gifts this morning. I am confident we would get a lot of the same and similar kind of responses, but I am also confident that we would find some strange ideas from sources we didn't expect to find strange ideas really fast. And we would be surprised by that. The reason for that confidence is I have encountered strange ideas about spiritual gifts 
my entire life in the church. And sometimes I, I remember times as a child hearing things from people. Not from a pulpit or from even a, a teacher in a class, but just from a friend, from an event. And, and I remember even as a child thinking, that doesn't make sense. Or even as a child thinking, I've never heard anything like that before. Or where did that come from? Or what are they doing at their church? I've never seen anything like that. So if we went around the room and tried to gain, and we're not going to do this, but tried to gain some sense of where our understanding on spiritual gifts really is, um, I think we would find a lot of good and positive things because our church has not shied away from teaching spiritual gifts. But I think among those who have, for whatever reason, have missed those teachings over the years, um, we would find a tremendous amount of diversity in beliefs and understandings of these things. That's not always, um, you know, a dangerous thing. We might find a tremendous amount of beliefs or ideas around all sorts of things in our life. But around this one particular thing, it's important that we all at least are presented with the same information and understanding because... Spiritual gifts and our understanding of them have become a main channel of deception and false teaching and exploitation in the place that we live. And I don't mean New Paris specifically, although yes. I mean our country, our nation. And this morning, I want to echo Paul's sentiment from the outset and say, I do not want us to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. Um, we should not be ignorant on these things. Nor should we be ignorant as to what is wrongly happening around us with these things. And when I say happening around us, I mean in Richmond. I mean in Eaton, in Arcanum, in Greenville, all around us, and yes, more broadly, in our country. We need to understand where these things have come from, the dangers that they represent, and what we should know and believe about them. When we think of spiritual gifts, what we should think of are ways that the Holy Spirit of God, upon a person entering into the family of God at salvation, the way the Holy Spirit of God uniquely gifts and equips that person for the role that that person will begin to serve and function in, in the body of Christ. That's how we should think of spiritual gifts. And if we think of it in that sense, we will understand spiritual gifts then as being something that Christian people, and only Christian people, receive from God, that they are then to give of themselves to others. In other words, we should think of spiritual gifts not as something 
that is ours to do with as we please or makes us greater or lesser or establishes us for this or for that. We should think of them as spiritual blessings that God has equipped us with so that we as a member of the body of Christ can serve effectively in the areas of service that God has called us to serve in. And in that sense, we should all acknowledge it's very good of God to do that. We have a church. The church is called the body of Christ. In the church, there are lots of things that need to be done all the time. There are basic things that people need to do with their hands. There are thinking things and deciding things that people need to do. There are ministries of counseling. There are ministries of service. Ministries of discipleship. There are teaching ministries. There are all sorts of services that the body of Christ requires. And rather than put one person or two people or three people in charge of all those things, God has decided that within the church, within a local body as well as the larger universal body of all Christians everywhere, there would be a diversity of spiritual gifts given to the people that make up the church. A diversity meaning I might be gifted one way and not gifted very much in another capacity. And my brother or sister in Christ might be gifted with the exact same or similar gifts that I have or they might be gifted in a very different way. And when I see those differences, I should see those differences as being complementary to the gifts that I know and experience myself. I should see the diversity in the body of Christ in terms of spiritual gifts as God's fingerprints of design that not one person would be self-sufficient on some spiritual island apart from the body of Christ at large. Not one person can lift themselves into be some spiritual giant apart from the ministry and service and fellowship of all the other people whom God has gifted in ways that might be very different from that one person to perform a ministry in their lives that they themselves could not perform. So, when we think of spiritual gifts, we should think of something from God, something unmerited, something we don't deserve, we haven't earned, something diverse, and something with purpose. And when I think of spiritual gifts that way, it is very humbling and reverent to think of that God would give any of us any special or unique gift or call that God would design the people around us, the people around you, to serve him in some essential way. <laughs> Think about that. 
I remember then, with that groundwork now just beginning to be laid, I remember then when I was in high school, I had a very close friend who herself was a Christian. And we would talk about Christian things from time to time. Not often, but in high school, there were not a lot of Christians that ever talked about Christian things. And so from time to time, we would talk about Christian things. And um, she went to a different church and went to a different youth group and went to different events than I did. Um, but we both recognized the genuineness of, of our faith. It wasn't like a competing church. It was just she went to a different church. And I remember one day, I don't remember how the circumstance, but we got to talking and she told me that they were doing something really cool in their youth group. And I thought, okay. And she said they were taking spiritual gift evaluations. And I thought, Grown up in the church my entire life and I've never heard of a spiritual gift evaluation. What is a spiritual gift evaluation? My mind, you can imagine like 14, 15 year old Reggie trying to figure out what might that look like? You know, what is, how, what, how, do you, how, would, how would you do something like that? And, it, it, and she began to describe it and basically they were like survey questions that you would answer. And you answer enough of them that the designer of the survey or the test um, begins to, based on your answers, score you into particular categories of strengths and weaknesses. And from those strengths and weaknesses, there are then suggested to you, these are your spiritual gifts, or might be your spiritual gifts, or probably are your, whatever it is. The clear understanding, whether it's said or not, of a spiritual gift evaluation is when you go through the process, you're going to find out what your spiritual gifts are. And I remember even as a 14-year-old thinking, that doesn't sound right. Uh, how would some guy who doesn't know me design some survey to be able to tell me based on my answers and how I'm feeling that day to these questions? And I thought, this is really odd. But you know... Uh, 14, 15-year-old Reggie wasn't super diligent uh, about, you know, really diving into these things. So I just thought, well, that's really strange. We don't do anything like that. And we moved on. Um, but then I started to do more and more in the professional world. And do you know what I found? They too do spiritual test evaluations. But they don't call them spiritual gift test evaluations. They call them personality evaluations. And I thought, this is really, I remember the first time I was put into a room with 30 people who I thought I knew. I mean, I worked with these people. I, mean, I thought I knew some of them pretty well. And they gave us all the survey. And I remember thinking, I don't want to do this, you know? That was my first thought. And my second thought, start to fill out the survey. And then, and then they start to tell you at the end things about yourself and your personality. And, and they start to, and, and I remember you know, maybe you like those things, maybe you don't. I don't have any bad or good word to say about those. But I remember thinking, this is stupid. You know, that's what I thought at the time. That probably says more about me than the test, but that's, what, that's how I felt about it. Um, and then I started to look up, and I, I would encourage you to do this, because I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. On the internet, these spiritual examinations myself, the spiritual gift test, not the 
personality ones. I'd taken those. I've taken like five or six of them at this point in my career. But uh, it's funny. Sometimes I'm one personality. Sometimes I'm, I, I'm like a split personality. You know, I can make a movie out of me. It's so crazy the results that they get out of this. But, but I looked these up on the internet, these spiritual gift tests. They're the same thing with like church language and church words. That's it. Some of the questions, and, and if any of you in the choir saw me frantically looking on my phone before I got up here, just understand that I meant to bring a piece of paper up here that I didn't bring, and, there was, and I realized it, like I do at the last minute, and I was trying to pull it up on my phone, but I didn't do it. So you can do this part for yourself. But some of the questions were like, do you believe that you are a discerning person? How are you going to answer that? Are you going to say no? <laughs> no, I, I think that I'm, I'm a really gullible person, honestly. I'm an idiot. You know, I, I'm, a, you know I'm, yeah, I'm not discerning. Or how about this? Um, the, remember, this is for Christians to take this, right? Do you place a high value on repenting of sin? <laughs> I mean, how's a Christian supposed to answer that? I mean, if you say no, that shouldn't mean that you're not equipped for a certain spiritual gift, that should mean maybe you're not a Christian. You know, please proceed to the appendix and take a different kind of evaluation. But, but these things are just, what they do is that they, they exhaust you with questions and you deliver a score and then they make recommendations. And listen, I, I am not here to make judgments about anyone who's ever taken one or anyone who's ever given one. I'm sure, just like my friend in high school, these things are done in earnest, okay? They're not done, you know, to... They're not done to, uh, to hurt anyone. I don't believe they are. They're done in earnest. Although I do question the ones that when you look them up on the internet, you'll see that you have to pay money to do. It doesn't seem so earnest to me. But aside from that, they're done in earnest. But that doesn't mean they're right or that they're good or that they're wise. Spiritual gifts are not the same as natural abilities. And, and if you're going to write any kind of foundational idea down, you need to write this down. Spiritual gifts are not the same as natural abilities. That is super important. Spiritual gifts come from God and they often equip people to, to serve in functions spiritually that they would not ever naturally align themselves in. I have found that they often throw a person into conflict because a person might be called to a ministry or service and yet in all of their natural human condition have nothing but fear or dread about how they might fail in it. And that's perfectly reasonable. I get nervous that I'm going to fail in things. I was nervous before I came up here. Spiritual gifts are not the same as natural abilities. Now God does give us some pretty phenomenal natural abilities. <laughs> we can't attribute it to anybody else. I mean, <laughs> but our creator. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But these are something different. Lost people can have natural abilities. 
that does not mean that they have been gifted by God to perform an important function. And if you're like, well, okay, I get it. Why are we belaboring this? Because I want you to understand, just because someone has the ability to stand up and to sing and draw out an emotion from people and a response to people that other people have no ability to do and they're performing, that does not mean that person has been spiritually gifted by God to do that. Just because someone has the ability to stand up and talk and tell stories and, 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 and communicate powerfully, life-changingly to other people, that does not mean they have been spiritually gifted by God to serve in that capacity. This is super important because oftentimes people will disguise a lack of godliness and spirituality and genuine saving Christian faith in their lives with an overwhelming amount of natural ability, undeniable natural ability. And they will deceive and mislead people because they are so capable at speaking, singing, songwriting, writing, performing, etc. But that is not unique to Christianity. People like that exist in every facet of life. You can go to the Middle East and read writings of powerfully gifted, natural ability people who, would, who have written things that just compel masses of people to change the way they live or think. That is not a spiritual gift. That is just unbelievable talent. So, Spiritual gifts draw this kind of interest in the church because they are fascinating. They are fascinating. People take spiritual gift tests because they want to know how they might uh, be gifted by God. They want, they want clarity. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it, it's intriguing to think God has gifted me or God might have gifted me in some way that I don't recognize. And so it's fascinating and it's interesting and it's... And when it gets muddied with natural ability, then people look at leaders or others with natural ability and they say, man, I wonder if I could do that. Because they get the part of the theology right where they say spiritual gifts come from God and then it gets muddied with natural ability that they see in someone they admire and they say, ergo, if I just get this spiritual gift from God, I can be like this person with all this natural ability that I admire. That's fascinating. And that's the wrong connection. Uh, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, let's transition as we, again, we're just starting to till in this ground. Let's transition to the part, the next logical part, if spiritual gifts are fascinating, then those who would blend spiritual gifts and natural abilities together are very showy. In other words, 
I don't mean showy and flamboyant. I don't mean like that. I mean it is, it is something to watch and behold. It is impressive. When things are impressive and something to watch and behold, they generate crowds and interest. And when things generate crowds and interest, they bring in money. Lots of money. Big money. There are lots of examples of this in our modern day culture. And um, I'm going to be honest and blunt about some of them with you this morning. And as we go through the text and look at the spiritual gifts described in 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going to continue to be honest and blunt with you. Because um, it's important enough to me that I don't, I, I'm, I'm tempted to say I don't care if it makes you mad. That's not true. I do care. I'm not, I don't want to offend anyone. But I care more that you understand what's happening. That matters more. And I mean, I don't get paid $100,000 by the church here. I don't, you know, the worst thing you can do is just not come or say something bad about me. I, I, there's, there's no, I don't have any motivation other than I don't want people to think bad stuff about me not to be honest about this. Um, and I think that's good. So let me give you a few examples right out of the gate. There's a big church movement in New York. It started in Australia and it spread quite a bit called Hillsong. You might have heard of Hillsong, right? Some of the songs that we have sung in this church come from Hillsong people. Um, Hillsong started in Australia with a, by the name guy by the name of Brian Houston. And Brian Houston had a son who came to the United States and went to school here. And his son had a friend named Carl Lentz. And Carl and his son eventually started a Hillsong in New York City. Same, same movement. And one of the things, when you, when you start to look into these kinds of ministries, one of the things that you will notice is they don't happen in New Paris. <laughs> Um, when they went to start their Hillsong movement, they did not go to rural Preble County. They went to New York City. Um, even if it starts small and local, it doesn't stay there. Sometimes these movements start small and local, but clearly you can see their intention is not to stay small and local. They want to grow. And uh, this is what happened with Hillsong. And they grew and they, and they became huge. They are huge. Many celebrities go to Hillsong churches. Uh, Chris Pratt, uh, Justin Bieber, many, many celebrities, uh, hugely popular, tons of money, record labels, recording labels, I mean, super impressive stuff. And the, the folks are uh, very much uh, celebrities themselves, Carl Lentz, the New York guy, and Brian Houston. And so I, this, I found an article from 2019 where uh, Carl Lentz was, was interviewed. And uh, he, now here's what he says. Pastor Carl Lentz believes what defines Hillsong is an emphasis on Jesus' gospel and a willing to let the Holy Spirit move. That, nothing sounds bad there. I mean, the, we focus on the gospel of Jesus too. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is moving and that's pretty important. Um, and then they go through the whole interview 
And he talks about how it came from Australia, and I'll, I'll spare you all of it, but there are some quotes in here that I think are really important for you to hear. For instance, he gets asked, when, when, when you started, you said that they gave you a framework from Australia, but then you were let go and then, uh, to, to do whatever you want in New York. And he said, the culture of our church is that this church is about Jesus. It's about getting people to Jesus. It's about teaching people how to live and follow and walk like Jesus. These are our core values. So everything comes out of that. He says, our culture is the Holy Spirit flowing, not some big rules and regulation culture. He said, I never thought that I could fit into a church, ever. I couldn't stand churches. And then when I walked into Hillsong in Australia, I was like, I could actually come here. I wouldn't mind coming back. The guy asked, the interviewer asked, you mentioned that a big part of Hillsong is the Holy Spirit flowing. Good, I appreciate the interviewer asking what in the world he means by that. He says, this is the interviewer now. Listen to how, what the interviewer says. But one thing I find interesting about Hillsong is that even though it is undeniably charismatic and spirit-filled in its theology, it's very accessible compared to how some churches in spirit-filled denominations can seem weird or off-putting. And you read and you find that a huge part of their strategy is to have these supernatural spiritual things, but to try not to make them weird. In other words, the pushback against, you know, running up and down the aisles and, and, and snake handling and that kind of stuff. Same kind of ideas, but we don't want it to be like that because people won't come. They talk about how clearly with the growth, the massive growth, God is working in Hillsong because there are so many people and there are so many, you know, powerful things going on. And the final question is, is there anything else that the reader should know about Hillsong's leadership? And here's the quote. I think people should know that Brian, the Australia starter of this, is an extremely humble and transparent leader. That's Carl Lentz. Now you might have heard, this was from 2019, you might have heard that Brian has recently stepped down in Australia because it was revealed that he was concealing his father's abuse of children in ministry for his entire career. That just happened. It's on the, if you Google it in the news, you'll see it right now. It doesn't sound like an extremely humble and transparent leader who knew that in his ministry structure, children were being physically abused and didn't say anything about it. Really humble and transparent leader. So I'm not sure that Carl Lentz is right and what's more, I don't care if Carl Lentz is right because he stepped down from New York about a year ago because he cheated on his wife and got caught in multiple affairs. So clearly, the Holy Spirit of God is behind what's happening in Hillsong. But it's not. It's not. Millions of people believe that it was. Millions of people trusted these leaders. Millions of people. And when I, my, my adult life has been a revolving door of these kinds of things. Just in and out of the news cycles. And I'll come back to 1 Corinthians 12 where the apostle Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. I don't want you to be ignorant about them either. Because they will shipwreck 
a person's faith. You spend decades under the ministry of someone who you thought was teaching under the power of the Holy Spirit and then you find out the guy's a fraud? Now, to some extent, we're all frauds. There's no doubt about that. To some extent, we are all sinners. But not to this extent. I'll give you another example. There is... another huge church uh, on the West Coast called Bethel Church. Massive, massive church. Tons and tons of money. And, you know, Bethel Church has uh, colleges. Bible colleges. They're not really Bible colleges because they don't really teach the Bible, but they call themselves Bible colleges. And they bring tons of kids to their different colleges even from our area, just this summer, I sat down to talk with a young man who was on his way to go to one of these colleges. The Bethel Campus College is called, let me make sure I get this right. The title pretty much says it all, if I can find it. Um, The Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, BSSM. And if you go there, as many do, they will teach you how to do miracles. That sounds pretty exciting. <laughs> it started with this church and, and, and the church is concerning spiritual gifts all messed up. And that's why it attracts such a huge number of people anyway. They use the very spiritual gift discussion that we are beginning to engage in here as a justification for a theology that believes because of what Jesus did on the cross, physical healing has been purchased for all believers. Not spiritual healing, that too, but physical healing because by his stripes we are healed. So by way of what Jesus did on the cross, physical healing is yours to have if you simply have enough faith to get it. Here's a a quote from their, the leader of the church, Bill Johnson. How can God choose not to heal someone when he already purchased their healing? Was his blood enough for all sin or just certain sins? Were the stripes he bore only for certain illnesses or certain seasons of time? Do you hear how they blend truth with lie? Was the blood of Jesus enough to cover all sin? Absolutely. And then the very next line, were the stripes he bore only for certain illnesses? Time out. I didn't know Jesus died on the cross to heal everybody from illnesses on this physical earth. I missed that part. But this is the theology. You say, well, yeah, but these are outliers. Clearly, you can't fool many people. You're wrong. Millions and millions and millions of Christians are going to church every week. They don't even realize that this is their church's doctrine. We had a church start within the last, you know, half dozen years, whatever, within 20 miles. You could go to the webpage, click on the what we believe section, 
and read this theology clearly spelled out. The own members of the church had no idea. <laughs> they didn't know that was the theology. They didn't even know what was on their own website. When the pastor was confronted about it, they took it off the website. <laughs> because it wasn't palpable, it was a threat now. When you go to church, there's some basic questions that you could ask. Like, what do you believe? Not just did I like the music, did I like the message. What do you believe? Do you write anywhere what you believe? Do you lay out anywhere what you believe? Oh, you're the pastor. It's nice to meet you, pastor. Where did you get training for pastoral ministry? I'm not suggesting that if someone doesn't have some formal training for pastoral ministry, they can't be a pastor if they didn't go and spend 60 grand at a Bible college. That's not what we're trying to get at the bottom of. But it would be great to know if the place that they did go spend 60 grand for formal training was a place that taught nothing that you believe. And that was the situation. There are people in our community and in all the communities around us today involved with churches who have basically no idea who trained their leaders. Basically clueless. And if they spend a few hours learning that and then watching the videos of what takes place at these training places, they would feel very different about everything. But they don't. They don't. Why? Because no one's ever told them, hey, you should check in on this. No, no, because they prefer to be ignorant about these things. Paul says concerning these things, these spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant, but they would prefer to be ignorant. They like where they go to church. I told you they have a school where they teach supernatural things. The stories are unbelievable. One family who attended the church lost their two-year-old child. The child died. The child was buried. And in the immediate aftermath, the students show up and start telling the child in the name of Jesus to rise from the grave. Can you imagine the emotional trauma inflicted upon parents who just lost a two-year-old child who are part of a ministry who believe if you simply have enough faith, you wouldn't die and you wouldn't get sick. If we simply had enough faith, we would be able to successfully command this two-year-old to come back to life. This made national headlines. It was so obscene like the LA Times picked it up and posted, can you believe people are doing this to a grieving couple? The child did not come back from the dead. More recently, senior pastor uh, prophesied that Donald Trump would win a second re-election. The article says, this pastor apologizes for missing the prophecy about Donald Trump. But he wants everyone to understand it was just a mistake and he is not a false prophet. He's very sorry. He says he's never had to make an apology for making a bad prophecy. He wants to be held accountable for the mistake. <laughs> Seems pretty easy to me. Accountability. I'm a false prophet. Why? I prophesy false things. 
I'm stepping down now. None of this is what I thought it was. But what he really wants is to not be held accountable for his mistake. So he issued an apology. By the way, his apology wasn't like standing up in front of the church like what I'm doing. It was a video recorded and put out all over the internet because there are millions of people that follow him. Folks, Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual things. Now this is verse two. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So this is as far as we're going to go in the text today. This will serve as our launching point for next week. The very first litmus test for what is spiritual and what isn't is what do they say about Jesus? What do they say about Jesus? No person can operate under the work of the Holy Spirit and deny the lordship of Jesus Christ, deny the person of Jesus Christ, deny the work of Jesus Christ. Why do you think Paul's saying that? Why do you think he starts there? Every cult that comes out of Christianity, including Islam, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, every cult that comes out of a biblical understanding and develops into a cult, Every single one of them moved that direction because someone claims to have had a spiritual experience that takes them away from a right biblical understanding of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, of salvation, and into a different understanding. Every one of them. Scientology, Christian science, which aren't the same thing. Seventh-day Adventists, Mormons, and yes, Muslims. Everyone, their leaders, the people at the top, have a spiritual experience that leads them to deny the person of Jesus Christ and what the Bible says about him. And these leaders today in these places that I've talked about very briefly this morning, including thousands of others like them, are all doing the same thing in denying the sovereignty of God and the person of Jesus Christ, but they are tricky about it. They are tricky. And we need to understand what they're doing. Now, I'm out of time. I'm not gonna go for another hour and a half. But I would like to just go for hours. I did this on Wednesday nights, maybe... Um, seven, eight years ago. Went through 1 Corinthians, so we, did, we went through this. And I did my very best uh, to lay out what we're gonna do in the, in the weeks ahead, which is a right understanding of spiritual gifts, a right understanding of where the practices we see around us actually come from, and a right understanding of the dangers that come from falling into those practices. And that's what we're gonna do. It'll probably take us another two or three weeks. 
uh, through, through chapter 12. I hope that you will make a commitment, even though we are covering very little scripture, I hope that you will make a commitment to endure for the next two or three weeks. Um, measure everything I say by the scripture. Have any conversation you need to have with me or with someone else afterwards. I have no intention to get away from teaching the Bible. But these are real and practical things happening around us. Some of you, I am afraid, are reading books and watching ministries that you have no idea what is behind them and what's wrong with them. And so this is important groundwork for me. And even if it means some people getting mad and saying, well, I don't feel like we're just teaching the Bible right now and I'm upset and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna support this. I, I can live with that because this is important and we need to understand it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1. Maybe you memorize a verse of the Bible this week. Now, brothers, concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. Let's just start there. Let's make that the verse for the week. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, it's very strange for me not to have a more conventional Bible study time. And I confess, this is hard. If I'm wrong, don't let me do it. But Father, inasmuch as your people need to understand the heresy and the evil and the deception that is going on around us, please bless us to understand what spiritual gifts are and what they are not. Help us to learn and think through these things rightly and protect us and our children and nieces and nephews and grandchildren and on and on down the list from being manipulated by very talented people who are not empowered by you. Father, thank you for this time. I pray your blessings upon the people. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.